All righty. Big thanks to our tech team who handled that really well, I thought, amazingly. Good job, guys. And um, I think we have to give a shout out to Angelica for literally praying the lights out, right? I mean, that was, that's probably, I've never done that. It's pretty awesome. Uh, We're in Hebrews uh, chapters three and four today. Uh, I just want to remind you kind of where we started in this study through this sermon, 2,000-year-old sermon uh, by an unknown author to a group of Jewish Christians, most likely living in Italy, who are experiencing the high cost of following Jesus. They, they have found that if, if you're going to be a Jesus-centered person, that's gonna put you in friction with the culture around you. You're going to be swimming against the stream of culture, which will create friction, and friction is painful, right? And that pain sometimes is so intense that it causes people to let go. The easiest thing to do when you're swimming against the stream and you get tired and it's painful is just to stop swimming and drift. And and many of these people in the audience uh, for the Hebrews, the Sermon of Hebrews, have just, they've just quit or they're thinking about quitting and letting go because it's difficult, it's challenging. So for us, do you find that Jesus-centered living puts you in friction with the world, that, that it, it forces you to swim against the stream of our culture? I hope that you do find that. And, and I, would, I would suggest that if you don't find any friction between you and the world, that, that maybe there's a, 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 a direction of Jesus following you you haven't quite centered on yet. It puts us in, in friction with the world, and that friction is painful. So I would ask you, is that, is that pain impacting your faith in any way? Is it causing you to tighten your grip on Jesus and say, I am, I am not letting go of the one thing I know to be true and right? Or is it causing you to loosen your grip and say, you know what, today it's just too hard. Today I don't wanna do the battle. Today I, I, I don't wanna deal with the pain. Today I'm just gonna go with the flow. Because the preacher understands that and has a word of encouragement and hope for you. So as we begin in chapters three and four, Did I get louder? Was that me? Okay. Um, I want to talk about the opening of chapter three and how this introduces sort of a concept I think we need to talk about just for a minute. Uh, In the beginning of chapter three, we see a comparison between Jesus and Moses. In chapters one and two, there was a comparison between Jesus and angels, and the preacher proved, showed how Jesus is superior to angels, that Jesus opens the way for us to the Father. We can go directly to the Father through Jesus, and we don't need to go through angels And now he's going to address Moses and say, Moses is the hero of the Jewish faith, right? Moses is the one who spoke face-to-face with God. Can you get any closer than that, speaking face-to-face with God? And the preacher is going to say, Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses was a servant. Jesus is the son. Moses was a part of the house that God had built. Jesus is the builder of the house. And so he elevates Jesus over Moses again, and then he begins to introduce and begins to show how these these old covenant people and concepts are pointing ahead to something else. And the Hebrews writer is going to use some terms called, uh, that we would, uh, in our language, is copies and shadows. He's going to talk about how the old covenant things are copies and shadows of heavenly things, the things are to come. So I wanna talk about that concept of copies and shadows just for a moment, because this is gonna be important as we go through. If you're reading Hebrews along with us, you've run into this already, you know this is out there, so I wanna talk about it for a moment. 
Uh, here's a couple of examples from chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. Uh, if you see anything underlined on the screen, th- this is your part. Some of you, you didn't know you signed up to be a part uh, in this today, but you did. Um, it's, it's in the fine print. Uh, Hebrews 9, 23 and 24, it was necessary then for the to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So you see, he's talking about uh, the, the temple or tabernacle as a copy of something in heaven. Now, we're going to get to all of that here in a couple of weeks, and, and we're going to dive into the temple and tabernacle as a copy. Uh, I want to point out one more example, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. The law is that are coming and not the realities themselves. So copies and shadows, the, the Hebrews writer is saying, there, there's some old covenant concepts and people that are, are pointing to something in the future. So I, I want us to understand what, what copies and shadows do and how we're supposed to kind of process this as we read through scripture. Uh, this this um, addressing of these copies and shadows has been around for a long time. Augustine uh, has written about this. Here's, here's Augustine's quote. I think this is good and helpful. He says, the new is in the old contained. The old is by the new explained. All right, that's convenient because it rhymes. Uh, I like that. The new is in the old contained. The old is by the new explained. And that's kind of what the Hebrews writer is doing. He's, he's showing us that there are some elements that God built into the old covenant that were designed uh, to to accomplish two purposes. One is to allow the people of that time to look forward to what God was going to do. So a copy allows somebody to look forward to the the original, the the true, the the fulfillment of that copy. And so in this sense, uh, the Hebrews writer talks in in chapter 11. If you've gotten that far, Hebrews 11 is sort of, it's kind of called the roll call of the faithful. And it's this list of all of these faithful people uh, from the Old Testament times who obeyed God through difficult times. And and here's uh, what it says about these people. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So he's saying these these people of faith in the Old Testament never actually got to see Jesus. They never actually got to see the thing that their faith was pointing them to, but they experienced these copies and these shadows, the sacrificial system and the role of the priests and the temple and the tabernacle were pointing them to Jesus. So their faith in God that was expressed through the old covenant was actually faith in Jesus. They just hadn't gotten there yet. They didn't get to actually see Jesus. So part of these copies and shadows, the job is to point people from that time, from the old covenant time to the new covenant time, to what God was gonna do in the fulfillment of the the salvation process. The other part of what copies and shadows do is it's for people in our time, people in new covenant time, to look back and learn about God's plan of redemption and how God interacts with people and to better understand that. And so that's what we're gonna see today. We're gonna see that the writer of Hebrews using these old covenant concepts and events to teach us about how God interacts with human beings. He's saying, look back, look back and see how God did it then and God doesn't change, so God is still 
offering the same thing to us today. So that's, that's where we're gonna dive in with chapter three, uh, verses seven through 12. So the beginning of, of, of this passage that we're starting in, chapter three, verse seven, is a quotation from Psalm 95, okay? So you with me? So this is all a quote from Psalm 95, specifically the Septuagint version of that Psalm. He says, uh, he quotes, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts, oh, this is your part, their, all right, we'll get there. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving from the living God. Okay, so that last line was uh, not a quote from Psalm. It was the Hebrews writer following up from that. But this quote from Psalm 95 is uh, an explanation of what happened in the, the time where the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And so we've got three time periods going on here. So we've got uh, the Hebrews writer pointing back to Psalm 95 and Psalm 95 pointing back to the, the wandering in the desert where the Israelites were on their way to the promised land they got to the edge of the promised land. They sent the spies into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey where, where they were gonna be at peace from all their enemies and they were too afraid to go in. The, the way that, that the psalmist describes that is their hearts were hardened against the promise of God, against the faithfulness of God. They didn't trust God enough to overcome their fears, to let God lead them in. And so as a result, God said, they, they will not enter my rest. In that generation, we know that God um, did not allow them to go in then. They, after, you know, they, they came back and they said, no, we're, we're afraid, we're not gonna go in. And God said, all right, then you're not going in. And then they, they tried to change their minds and they said, well, maybe we will go in. And he said, no, you missed it, it's too late. So they went and they fought a battle. They thought, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna go, we're gonna fight the battle. We're, sorry, God, we messed up. And they lost that battle really badly. And that generation wandered in the desert for 40 years. And they died before they got back to this opportunity. So God said, because you've hardened your heart, you've rejected my authority, you don't trust me enough to lead you in, then you're not going in. And so uh, this is, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to this saying, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Let's, let's continue in chapter four. Uh, verse one. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The, the Hebrews are saying the same thing can happen to us today, that, that God has still promised us rest. We'll, we'll get into kind of what that means here in a moment. <clears throat> but if, if you harden your hearts and disobey, you will not enter the rest. Verse two, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. What, what was the good news proclaimed to them? There is, a, there is a promised rest for the people of God. We have that promise as well, same promise. But the message they heard was of no value to them because, why? Of those who obeyed. So some had faith and obeyed and some didn't, right? Verse three, now we have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So the Hebrews writer is making connection between the seventh day when God rested from all the work of creation. And he's saying that rest that started on the seventh day is still going on. That God is still in his seventh day rest, right? From, from creation. And he's invited us to join in. He's invited his people to join in. Verse six, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in, why? God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So he's, he's reaffirming this invitation still stands. As long as it's today, there's still an invitation for you and for me and for everyone on the planet to accept God's invitation into his rest. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Ready? That's good news, right? That is, that is good news. I would underline that if you've got a Bible or you've got a digital Bible, highlight that or... Uh, write that, tattoo that on your arm or something. I don't know. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's, that's you and me. If you put your trust in Christ for your salvation, you're the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for us. We're not as excited about that as maybe we should be. Let's explain, we'll explain it in a bit. I'm gonna get you excited before you get out of here. It's gonna be a requirement. We're gonna lock the doors and you can leave when you're excited. Verse 10, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. All right, let's unpack what is the promise of rest for the people of God. If this is supposed to be good news for us, let's unpack this and let's, let's dive in a little bit. Uh, I, I wanna, so this series is, uh, it feels to me, and maybe you're experiencing this if you've been here the last few weeks, feels more like a Bible study than a sermon series. Uh, we're, we're digging pretty deep. We're, we're going, you know, a little further down into the text than we normally would on a Sunday morning. And uh, for many of you, that's not what you signed up for. <laughs> you didn't sign up for a Bible study on Hebrews. You just want to come and hear a sermon, and hopefully he'll say something funny once every half hour, and then we can go, right? Here's why I want you to lean into this deeper study. Some, some, I've, I've talked to many uh, faithful followers of Jesus who just say, I'm not a deep person. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go deep. Like, let's just talk about real life. And, and to, to the, if that's where you are, I would say, listen, I, this is real life, okay? This is as real as it, as it gets. And if you are a person who is in the direction of Jesus-centered living, then you are experiencing friction with your culture. It is putting you in conflict with the way of the world. And that conflict is painful. It should be painful. If you're not experiencing any pain from following Jesus, you're not doing it correctly. It should be painful. And that pain is gonna make you question whether it's worth holding on to Jesus or not. And this is exactly what this Hebrews writer is trying to talk to us about. Like, here's why you should hold on. And he's gonna talk about this promise of rest as a reason to hold on to our faith when we come into conflict with the world around us, okay? 
So that's why it's worth digging a little deeper here as we go through this series. So I want to talk about the layers of meaning that we see in the concept of rest in these passages. So the first layer is rest is the promised land. The promised land is a geographic place. It's not, it's not you know, Narnia. It's not a mystical, magical. It is, it is a geographical. The boundaries are well-defined in scripture. I mean, he talks about going, you go to this river and to the sea and north it's here and south it's here. It is a designated geographic place. That's, that's the place of rest that God promised to his people. He said, when you get to this place, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is all about how to live in this land that God has given you. And there's a lot of good that's coming their way being in this land. It's the place where they're going to establish themselves as the people of God and experience his presence right there among them and be at peace from all their enemies. It's a beautiful place. Do you have a place where, where when you're there, it just, it feels like the peace of God. I do. I have a place. It's called The Close. It's in Southeast Kentucky. Um, I got some pictures of it. We'll show as, as I talk through this. And uh, I've been going to The Close for 25 years. And the driveway to The Close is about two miles long on a very small and windy road through the forest. And so it takes a while. It takes several minutes. And when I turn onto that driveway... I start to feel my heart rate slow down. I start to feel my shoulders relax. My breathing slows because I know what's ahead. I know that when I get to the end of that driveway and it opens up onto these beautiful uh, open fields and, and we're on top of this plateau over the Rock Castle River and I can walk into the overlooks and I know that there's bald eagles all around and I know what's waiting for me and I start to relax and, and let go and breathe deeper I also relax because I know the experiences that I've had in this place, times of silence and solitude where I've just been able to just be with God and, and to talk to him and to hear from him in significant ways. It's a, it's a promised land kind of place for me. And, and I anticipate every opportunity. I got to spend four days there at the beginning of my sabbatical. And, and it's something that I anticipated. I looked forward to that just as much as I did going to Israel. I looked forward to going to that place of rest. Because uh, it's, it's a geographic place where I experience the presence of God. I hope that you have something like that. But that's one layer of meaning for the promised land. It's a, it's a geographic place uh, where God was going to be uh, with his people in a special way. The second layer of meaning uh, is that the rest means the peace of God. And this is a state of being more than a place that you go. This is a state of being. It's a state of being in right relationship with God, with yourself, and with others. The peace of God is a state of being in right relationship with God, with yourself, and with others. This is why peace is so difficult for us to experience in this world, right? Usually we can get one out of three of those on a given day. Maybe if we're having a great day, we'll get two out of three of those. How often do you get three out of three of those? Where you're in right relationship with God, with yourself, and with others. And that is a state of peace. That's what we were made for, and that's what God has invited us into. That's, that's going to be new creation. New creation, we're going to be in right relationship with God, self, and others. We're going to be at peace. And we get to taste that every now and then here. And I think the place I see it most often is in babies. Oh, I love babies. Bring, bring the babies out. This is uh, a baby in a box, and this is a baby at peace. Babies are not always at peace, right? 
But when they are, it's true peace, isn't it? They are in right relationship. This baby in a box is Lila, and she is in right relationship with God herself and others. She is completely at peace. You can see it in toddlers when toddlers are playing sometimes on their own. You can see it in a child on a swing, just swinging back and forth and smiling. That's what I want. I want that childlike peace, right relationship with God, self, and others. And this is what God has invited me into. This is the peace of God. This is the promised land. This is rest. The third layer of rest that we see here is, is God's Sabbath rest. God's Sabbath rest is what's talked about here. Now, you know, on the seventh day after God had created uh, the world and everything in it, he rested from all his work. And, and that Sabbath rest is for him is ongoing. It's eternal. If you read in the creation account, every day has an evening, right? God does this thing and then there's evening and there's morning and there's a new day. The Sabbath rest doesn't have an evening in that account. It doesn't end for God. He's still in this day of rest. So this is an eternal reality where we get to experience the peace of God uninterrupted forever. That's what God has invited us into. And the Sabbath is uh, supposed to train us. So Sabbath, then God instructs his people to to take one day a week and this is the Sabbath and and you rest from all your work and you don't do anything. And there's a specific purpose for Sabbath. It's it's practice for this eternal reality of the peace of God that we're gonna get to experience when Jesus comes and makes all things new. So the Sabbath is supposed to train us to anticipate this rest that God has prepared for us. So when we think about what life will be like in the fully restored kingdom of God when Jesus comes and makes all things new, we should, we should be able to compare that to our Sabbath practices here on earth. Now, we don't, in our tradition, we don't do a, a strict seventh day, you know, Saturdays, and you don't do any work, and, you, and you're just with your family. But man, I think, I think we should lean into this a little more than we do. I think we should practice Sabbath. We need to find ways to set aside time where we rest from our work It's not about avoiding productivity. It's about placing productivity in the right order. It's a joyful result of our identity and our value to God. It's not a measurement of our value. So when it comes to this rest and these three layers of meaning, the the preacher has two words of warning, two words of warning for the people. First word is don't miss it. Don't miss it. You're like, well, I'm not gonna miss it. I got baptized. I'm not gonna miss it. I, I go to church sometimes. The Israelites who were rescued from slavery in Egypt through the, the 10 plagues, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and they were received the 10 commandments from Moses, missed it. They thought, they thought that just because they were Israelites, they were automatically in. And they missed it because they disobeyed and they rejected God's authority and they didn't trust him to go before them. And they missed it. Brothers and sisters, just because you got baptized once, just because you go to church sometime, just because you gave some money one time, you could still miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to miss it. So what is required? What what are we supposed to do? How do we make sure we don't miss it? There is in scripture this tension between God's grace and human initiative. God's grace and human initiative. And you find this tension played out really clearly if you just read two, two chapters of scripture. Read Ephesians 2 and James 2. 
You read Ephesians 2 and James 2, and you're going to sense this tension between God's grace and human initiative. God's grace that means that our sins are paid for, that everything you've done is forgiven in Christ. If you put your trust in Jesus and you're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, you are free from sin. And forgiveness is yours for the asking every single time. And human initiative means Jesus saying over and over again, as was one of our elders pointed out this morning in, in, in the Gospel of John and in First John, if you love me, you will what? Obey. You will obey. How many of you like to obey? You're like, I, I can't wait to obey somebody today. No. We, I, I'm in charge. I don't obey. I make the decisions. I'm, I'm in control. I do what I want to do. Especially if you're retired, you don't even have a boss anymore, right? Don't look at your wife, okay? Like you, you don't have a boss. We don't like to obey. Obey is a bad word in our individualized culture where the highest value is my autonomy and I get to decide who I wanna be and I get to decide what I wanna do. But obedience is not too high a price to pay for the promised rest that God has invited us into. It's not too high a price to pay because scripture instructs us and the Hebrews writer is gonna talk about this later that God's instructions are for our good. They actually are for, they're good for us. When we obey God, it's, it's good for us. It's the best way to live. It's not harsh and oppressive so the, the Hebrews writer is saying, don't miss it. They missed it because they disobeyed. They didn't trust God. They didn't want to submit to his authority. They weren't convinced it was what was best for them and they missed it. So that's one uh, warning. And the other warning is, don't, don't think it's too late. Don't think it's too late. He keeps saying this, this today, if you hear his voice, this is from Psalm 95, he, keeps, he repeats this a couple times. Today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, just obey. Don't harden your heart, just obey. And, and his point is, every single day you have this choice. Every single day that you wake up and you take a breath, God is inviting you to trust him. God is inviting you to anticipate the promised rest. And every single day you have a choice to obey or to not obey. Until one day, you're not gonna have it today. You're only gonna have it yesterday. There is a limit on this. As long as you're alive and drawing breath, the invitation is there for you. It's never too late. It's not too late. There are not too many bad things you've done. There, there are not too many mistakes you've made. There are not too many years that you've gone spiritually stagnant. It's never too late. Because today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Just respond with humility and submission and love and obey your creator. Because here's the promise, and this is the good stuff. Rest is coming for the people of God. Rest is coming. I have some friends sitting here today that are looking forward to retirement. Rest is coming, right? It is. There's something better than retirement. Some of you are like, I'm retired. I, I don't rest. Where's rest? I don't miss that. I still work all the time. Rest is coming for the people of God. And this rest is it's this state of being where you're in right relationship 
with God, with self and others. It's gonna be a physical place. The new creation is a physical place where we will experience the presence of God. It'll be like the close is for me. When, when I get there, I'm, I'm just at peace because I'm there. That's what new creation is gonna be like for us. And it's gonna be this eternal reality where we are resting from the work. What work are we resting from? Is there gonna be no work in new creation? No, I think there's gonna be work. There was work in the Garden of Eden before sin came, right? Work is not a result of sin. Work is a, a product of people who are created for a purpose, right? So there's gonna be work, but it's gonna be a different kind of work. The work that we get to rest from, and this is what we need to practice on our Sabbaths, the work that we get to rest from is the effort that we have to make constantly to resist the culture that we're in. If you're a Jesus-centered person, if you're moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living, there is resistance everywhere you turn. But the Sabbath rest for the people of God, that's gone. Because now the whole culture that we live in in the new creation will be Jesus-centered. We won't have that resistance. We get to rest from the work of trying to be good enough. How many of you get to the end of the day and you're like, I blew it. I, didn't, I just wasn't good enough today. I am not at peace with God, or I'm not at peace with myself, or I am not at peace with the people in my house or the people I work with. We get to rest from this striving to be good enough, from this striving to like, figure out how to navigate this world in the path of least resistance. We, we no longer have to battle against the pressures of our culture. We no longer have to endure persecution or suffering. We no longer have to love without being loved in return. That's the work we get to rest from. Does that sound good? Sounds good. And, and our, our journey from this point is like my two-mile drive to the close where we know what's coming. We know the rest that, that is waiting for us when we get to the end of this road. And we just can't wait. We just can't wait to get there. Now, you gotta stay until God says it's time to go man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait for new creation. I can't wait for Jesus to come back and make all things new and for me and for you to get to enter that rest. So here's what I want you to do. We gotta practice. We gotta practice because practice makes us anticipate it, right? This is how I always experienced sports. I didn't like going to practice, but practice meant there was a game coming and I liked games, all right? I like to play in the games. But so we practice Sabbath, we practice rest so that we learn to anticipate the promised rest that's coming, okay? Uh, and in the beginning of this discussion, the Hebrews writer says this, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Man, it's so easy for us to get hardened to the commands of Jesus and the way of the Jesus-centered living. We get hardened to it because it's not, it's not how everybody else is living, so how do we avoid being hardened by sin's deceitfulness? It's this. We need each other. You can't do this by yourself. We need each other. That's why the Sunday morning gathering matters. We get to see each other. I am encouraged by your presence. You're encouraged by the presence of the people around you. This is why we do small groups, why we do microchurches and Christian education classes so that you can be encouraged as you study scripture and pray together. And as we talk about the friction that comes in our lives when we're Jesus-centered people and we can share the pain together and we can look forward to the promise together, we need each other. 
So we're going to practice Sabbath together. We're going to encourage one another as long as it's called today, because there's a day coming when you won't wake up and draw breath. So as, as long as we have that opportunity, let's encourage one another. So I, I want to encourage you to practice Sabbath together. Here, here's just the challenge. Just take a day. I know it's so hard to think about a day. You're like, a day is a lot of time. I get a lot done in a day. I have a lot of obligations every single day. I can't just turn that off. We gotta start somewhere. I, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you to find a, a, a space of at least a few hours where you can spend at peace. You can step away from responsibilities and obligations. You can step away from your phone. You can step away from your email. You can step away from distractions and spend time with Jesus-centered people, with people around you. Maybe, hopefully it's the people in your home. Maybe it's the people um, in your family. Maybe it's the people in your neighborhood or in your small group where you can just spend time resting from the work of striving to be good enough, from the work of trying to prove yourself, from the work of hiding who you really are, from the work of dealing with your fears. You can just lay all that down and rest together. Would you, would you practice Sabbath I just want to encourage you, especially if you're already in a small group, if you're already in a microchurch, this is going to be the challenge for your microchurch this week, is to talk about how can we practice Sabbath together and come up with a plan. If you're not in a microchurch, you have people in your life, you've got friends, you've got other people that love Jesus, get together, sit down at, at lunch together today and say, can, could we figure this out? Is there, a, could we work out six hours? Could we do eight hours? Could we do 12 hours? Could we do, could we do a whole day where we just rest from striving, from our obligations. We put down the stuff that distracts us and we just experience the peace of God. That, that's not gonna be easy. Again, this is, a, this is a, a, a prime example of how Jesus-centered living is gonna put you in conflict with our culture because our culture prizes busyness and values doing stuff. But the rest that God has promised for us is not about busyness and doing stuff, right? It's about experiencing right relationship with God, self, and others. So the challenge is practice Sabbath this week. Come up with a plan and a time and set aside some time. Start where you can. If it's just a few hours, start with that because it helps us anticipate what's coming. I think sometimes our, our world, I, I know there's a lot of problems in our world, but there's a lot of conveniences in our world too, right? I mean, we have, how many restaurants did I go to this week? This is stupid. I don't, our kitchen's broke, so I, I have to go eat. But they, like, it's so good. Like, I love going out to eat. I do. And, and, and there's so many things. I get to watch baseball whenever I, you know, pretty much whenever I want to. I, I, there's so many good things about this world. I won't even talk about Oreos and M&Ms and all the things that are great about this world. And sometimes we, we get so wrapped up in the good things of this world that we forget that heaven's better, that new creation is better, that the promise of God this world can't hold a candle to what God has offered to his people. And we need to learn to anticipate, to look forward to new creation and the return of Christ. Pray for it to come and lean into it. Practice what it's gonna be like. Because here's what, I, here's, here's what I'm convinced of. And th th this is for you. I hope this is something that will be good and healthy for you. But I'm also convinced that the world around us, people who don't know Jesus, are desperate for peace. And they need to see some human beings out there 
showing them that it's possible, don't they? And showing them where to find it, right? Who's gonna do it? Who's gonna show your neighbors that peace is possible? Maybe that's why God put you where you are. Who's gonna show your coworkers that peace is possible? Maybe that's why God put you in the job that you have. Who's gonna show your family members that peace is possible? Maybe that's why God put you in that family. If we learn to practice this and experience it and anticipate it, then we get to give this gift to everybody that we run into. And the gift is the good news, that there is a promised rest for the people of God. Let's pray about that together. Would you stand? We're gonna close with just a word of prayer. I wanna want invite you um, to pray that, that God would work in your hearts to find a way to practice Sabbath this week, to practice rest. And, and I know for many of you, you're like, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't do a whole lot. Maybe if you are retired, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't do a whole lot. But how often do you take time to in, intentionally step away from obligations and distractions and whatever else is going on just to experience the peace of God? I just wanna invite you to, to do that. Let's pray about that together. Father, thank you for this promise of rest that's coming. And uh, it's a little frustrating for us sometimes, God, because we're not there yet. Uh, we, we don't get to just stop everything, but you have given us this way to practice. And so I pray that we would take that seriously and take it as a gift, that we would practice rest and we would do it in a way that honors you and honors the people around us. And that ultimately, God, that through our experience of, of your peace in our lives, that we get a chance to bless other people who don't know you and don't, don't know Christ. And we get a chance to show them that there is a peace for the people of God. Would you do that in us and through us, Father, to your glory? In Christ's name, amen.